This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. All right, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I'm here today with Chloe McLean, and I'm going to let her do a quick intro on her title exactly so that I get it right, um, and then we'll jump into some questions. So, Chloe, introduce yourself. Yeah, perfect. So, I'm Chloe McLean. I am a lecturer at the University of the West of Scotland. I teach in sociology, and I've done research on gender and karate. Perfect. All right. So, Chloe, as I just mentioned, we're going to start the podcast off every time now by asking this central question, which is, uh, why do people say martial arts saved me? Or karate saved me, I suppose, in your experience. (laughs) It's a great question because it is something, whether it's been said in those exact words or said in slightly different ways, um, it's something which I've heard a lot through my experience as somebody who does karate and as well as somebody that's done interviews with people as well and this notion that they've been saved or it was a key turning point in their life that helped them from emotional trials you know these negative life events that have happened I think one reason why martial arts um can perhaps be seen in this way is I think it gives structure to people's lives. So I guess from one perspective, you can see that when there's a lot of chaos going on in someone's life, going on in the backdrop, uh, martial art is a place which is very structured. There's very clear rules within a martial arts dojo or within a martial arts setting of how people should interact, of the, you know, the relationship between the sensei and the practitioner themselves, you know, you follow what the sensei tells you, you've got um, this clear positioning within the club of what your level of ability is, what's expected of you, and things that you can do to help see yourself improve. And I think, you know, the belt systems that are in a lot of martial arts where people, you know, they go to gradients to try and achieve the next coloured belt, is a really useful thing in helping seeing a progression. Mm. Um, And I think that structure provided there can be really, really useful when chaos is all around us. You know, something that gives us a stability is a really, really good thing. I think alongside that as well, I guess there's a couple of different ways that you can see things. So in one way, we can see um, martial arts as a distraction and this would be the same for any sport or hobby I guess it can be a distraction from what's going on around us it's somewhere where we can really focus on something else and almost forget about other elements of um of life that's going on at that time so in one way it can be seen as a distraction in another way I think it can also help us think through our emotions and experiences as well Um, So I don't think that it's always the case that people through their martial arts go there to completely forget the traumas that are going on elsewhere. But I also think sometimes it's about coming to terms with and calming some of the negative emotions that we're feeling, whether that's grief, sadness, anger, frustration. Um, I think through hitting some pads, for example, people feel like they're able to express these pent-up emotions Um, in a legitimate way in a way that's completely safe and fine and appropriate in a karate or a martial arts hall it's absolutely fine to do that so there's this legitimate place to express emotions which are perhaps tied to other feelings um, about what's going on in the outside world but in a safe environment to do so so I think there's a couple of things going on both you know a place to forget but also a place to express emotions that you're maybe not able to in other ways so I think that can provide a bit of a therapeutic um, feeling but I would say the first point that I made about structure I think that's the main thing in this idea of being able to see a progression when everything's going downhill in your life 
when if you can go into this martial arts environment where you can always see some form of progression and it's highly accepted that nobody's ever going to become perfect either which which again, I think is a good thing. It's not necessarily competitive environment either. So it's just this place where people can see themselves improve at their own pace. And that I think is a highly rewarding thing for people, particularly when they're going through um, a traumatic time. Yeah, yeah. I think that idea of um, like people hitting pads to express emotion I, I didn't really think about it in those kind of terms, just for like expressing regular emotions. I suppose through my work, I've thought a lot about how we express trauma and how we can help release some really stored traumas. But even just for for anybody who's got some kind of an emotional thing, I suppose that's how they would then embody that emotion and help release it and, and move it on. So it's really interesting. What what got you into asking these kind of questions? How did you decide that you were going to spend all this time researching embodiment and karate and gender? And yeah, what's the story? Yeah, so I've done karate myself since I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done it more of my life than not. And I can't really remember life before karate now, which is kind of strange. Um, but I guess it's a nice thing. Um, so I started karate when I was seven. Um, because my dad wanted me to get involved in some form of sport. He wasn't bothered what it was. He just wanted me to be doing something which kept me fit enough and, Mm -hmm. you know, a place where you can socialise with other people. At our local community centre, there was a karate class. So he thought, perfect, I'll take her there. She loves the Power Rangers. I don't know if you're aware of her. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. action, sort of action hero kind of thing. These wee fighters that done acrobatic style fighting against monsters and all that kind of thing so I loved that as a kid so my dad bought karate maybe that will be something that she'd like and I did I loved it from day one and funnily enough um, my coach said to me something very interesting on day one he said to me when he put me beside all the white belts you know everybody else was in their karate suits and all this kind of thing and so I was standing there in my t-shirt and shorts um, and he said to me and now you know girls are better at karate than the boys and it was kind of this interesting comment that he said on day one now obviously what he was trying to do here was to try and make me feel comfortable um, in the environment so I'd done karate so like I say started when I was seven at the age of 16 um, I got onto the Scottish National Karate Squad and at that point karate became I guess a bit of a bigger part of my life when I was younger um, I would never miss a class absolutely loved um, absolutely loved karate so I would never ever miss a class started competing when I was I'd done competitions since I started however I wasn't that bothered about them when I was younger and that was fine um, and I only ever went to a couple of competitions a year but I got sort of scouted I guess um, by a slightly bigger karate club that was linked to the club that I trained at. And they said, come along and train was as well. And they started to take me to more competitions across Scotland, across Britain, and then gradually across the world. Um, so at 16, I started competing for the Scottish national karate team. Um, and I'd done that until... Um, in various ways, in and out a bit until I was about 26. Um, So during this time, I went to university, studied sociology at university. I studied sociology. I guess it's a subject that sometimes people are like, what what is that? So sociology is just, um, sociology looks at relations in society. So how is society structured? What power is going on in society who has the power to decide who gets what within society and how do people interact with each other so I was really interested particularly about the more small scale how do people interact with one another in given settings and why do they act in certain ways so why is it that you know women often do the sort of like emotional and care work in a relationship whether that's a romantic relationship, whether it's a family relationship, whether it's an office-based, you know, they're the admin and they're having to, like, not only do their work but also try and calm 
the emotions that are going around um, them. So even things like this, I was really, really interested in. When I got to my final year of my undergraduate degree, you get to do a dissertation project, which is where you get to go out and do a little bit of research on a topic of your choice. And at the time, I was competing internationally all around the world. And so I was really, really busy because I had a lot of training sessions. So I had training, you know, five, six days a week. And then the weekends were competing somewhere was how my week used to look. And so I had to fit my studies all around this. And so I thought, well, it would maybe be quite strategic to study karate because that's what I'm doing day to day anyway. But I was interested in other ways because I found that through training at karate and in the clubs that I trained at, um, the ratio of men to women in the clubs, you probably had 60 to 70% men, 30 to 40% women, something around this kind of ratio. So whilst you know, whilst it was noticeable that there was more men than women, there wasn't an insignificant amount of women in the clubs either. Um, but I found that a lot of my absolute best friends that I made through karate and that are still very, very close friends with um, were men. But I was the only female friend that they had. In all the other pockets of their life, their friends were all men. And I thought there was something interesting here. And I guess what I thought to myself was, does karate, does this environment that we're in, in a martial arts dojo, does that start to um, change the way in particular that men look at women? And that was what my start and interest was. So I decided to look at gender in karate um, in my undergraduate degree. Maybe naively, I sort of wanted, I guess, Maybe a bit naively at the start, I sort of thought, oh, is there something here that we could learn about how to make anti-sexist men or, you know, how to sort of, yeah, sort of chip away at sexism for men? Because as much as it's important for women's empowerment to, you know, be able to see and realise that they can do whatever types of activities that they want to do, it doesn't need to be the things that are seen as girly. And that's all great. But... If we are doing whatever we want to do, but men still have sexist attitudes towards us, then it's a problem. So I kind of seen men and men's attitudes as something which was really, really interesting to me and how in karate there's this sort of, um, and maybe in other martial arts too, there's this kind of respect that is fostered between men and women that isn't necessarily replicated in other places um in in people's lives yeah. in general not talking specifically so that was that was the interest and then basically it carried on done from my undergraduate into a master's and then a phd um so yes so that was the kind of starting point so i guess what i looked at started to change a little bit more so it kind of went away a little bit from well, I guess I was like, well, how do we get to the point where we can understand how this setting has maybe changed percep men's perceptions of women? And I started by thinking, well, let's have a look at the different ways in which ideas about women's bodies and men's bodies as different or as the same. How does that happen in a karate in a karate setting? Because I think, you know, we're all familiar with you know, the lineup that we all have in a martial arts setting where sometimes it's the woman that stands at the top of the line because she's the most experienced person in the class. Um, and I guess that's quite a challenge to what people out with a martial arts setting would expect and even people within a martial arts setting perhaps because, you know, fighting, that seemed to be what men do. That seemed to be the epitome of masculinity that, you know, men should be able to do this. But sometimes women are the best at it. So I guess that's I guess that's challenging. So I, I wanted to look at like how does doing karate shape the different ways that men and women use their bodies, and then from that point, how does that shape the way men and women think about sameness or difference between each other? There's so much there. So I guess the the way that I've experienced this, and it's so true, like because I've done several different martial arts. So I've done karate, I've done jujitsu, I've done kickboxing, and just the men that 
I am friends with and that I grew up with, there's there's just this level of like there's no underlying part of me that's like, is this man just talking to me because he wants to sleep with me? I think like for me, that is like the key thing. It's like because we're training partners, there's this like sacred unspoken thing that's like you will never hit on me because you hit me. You know, it's just this weird thing where it's like as soon as we're like that, we are like brother and sister now. It's a family bond. It's not a sexual bond and it just makes it so much easier to be friends. Have you looked at that in your research? Is there something that comes up? Yeah, it definitely does. And that family feel that you're mentioning there is a term that I hear all the time. People, you know, lots of people say the karate family um, to describe the the sort of social interactions that happen in a karate setting and the way that they feel towards um, their karate training partners. They often call it the karate family. And that's really nice because it shows... Um, the level of sort of comfort um, that they have with each other, with other people that they train with. They feel that there's something deeper about the bond that they have than just an acquaintance or just a sort of sort of friendly acquaintance, that there's something much more deeper um, that's going on there. And I think that's a really, really interesting thing that this term, the Karate family, is always the term that people use and it's, it is nice I think and I think those you know those friendships are drawn from that experience of going through the exact same things as one another so maybe learning your katas or your all the different techniques at the same time the stresses of competition if you do them the stresses of gradings and um, you go through all these things and you're seeing each other go along this journey albeit it's a journey in karate or whatever martial art you do, um, but you're going, seeing people improve and take these little steps forward towards, you know, these improvements that they want to make in their own technique. But it's not even just um, in karate that you sometimes, it's not even just in sort of karate or martial art technique that you see improvements happen, but you see improvements um, in different ways as well. But we can maybe touch on that later and I'll stay focused to the question about friendships. So the other thing that I would say just on that note about, you know, these friendships that men and women develop, which is grounded in a sort of mutual respect for each other as karate practitioners and people that can help each other get better than they do. So whether that's partnering um, with higher and lower grades and the higher grades are given a little bit of advice um, here or there as to how people can tweak their technique to get it a little bit better or whether it's just being a, tra- a training partner or a dummy for somebody when they need to warm up before a competition. In lots of different ways, we're providing lots of support for one another and helping one another um, and something which is very important to us as individuals as individuals that do karate or do a martial art. Getting better in our practice is really important to us. So that creates a really nice, strong bond. And often because martial arts most commonly train mixed sex, these bonds are made between men and women. And I think that's a really, really good thing. And as I suggest, a really important step um, that needs to happen because I think in lots of ways, our world is quite gender divided, Um, not just in what we expect from men and women, but in who we expect them to be spending time with. But... One thing which I guess I'm maybe not so convinced on is um, the idea that it doesn't mean that that men in the club won't hit on the women or women in the club won't hit on the men because Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen a lot of crappy relationships blossom from, you know, people people starting as training partners, you know, and, you know, then later on, um, getting together, maybe having a family themselves and both parents then doing the karate and then the kid starts doing karate, obviously, because they've got two karate parents. Another interesting pattern um, that I would say I've seen when that when these relationships, like couple relationships, do develop between karate practitioners is that it is much more common um, for women that do karate 
to end up in a couple relationship with a man than it is for a man in karate to end up in a couple relationship with a woman that does karate. Now, partly that's a numbers game, but it's also something interesting going on there. And I think that is maybe partly to do with, you know, um, it is still, unfortunately, more difficult for women to be able to engage in their leisure pursuits. You know, in heterosexual couple relationships, so couple relationships between men and women, it's still expected that the woman will kind of base herself around the interests of the man and support whatever the man wants to do in his work or hobbies, which inevitably, not inevitably, but often ends up that the woman will spend less time on herself and her own interests and these drop away. So that is perhaps why we see more women in karate coupling with men who do karate than men in karate who couple with women because it's a common pattern that women will support um, the man and the, whatever his hobbies are and this won't be seen by the woman as taken away from their relationship but sometimes it is seen by men as a threat to their relationship that a woman has these interests out with it. The other pattern to do with um, family sort of couple relationships that I've seen start in karate is that often when men do start a relationship with another karate practitioner that's a woman often um, quite often the man is a coach and the woman is a mm. student mm-hmm. of the coach so there's kind of a power dyna- dynamic going on um, here as well now it's not to say that this doesn't end up in great relationships sometimes of course it does um, but there's an interest in power I guess it's just um, important to recognize that there's an interesting power dynamic going on here which is what is expected in men and women's couple heterosexual relationships and that is that the man starts from the position of respect and power and that the woman has slightly less of that and as much as there'll be a respect between these partners hopefully if it's a good relationship um that power dynamic is still there at the start of the relationship anyway. Um, so that was a couple of interesting things which I've noticed um, through my research and through being a practitioner in regards to sort of friendships and also couple relationships between men and women karate practitioners. Yeah, it's so interesting about how um, like women who do karate kind of need to have a karate partner to be allowed to do karate. Like, I've never thought about it in those terms, but that that definitely applies to me. Like I've always been a guy, if he doesn't train that there were two parts to that one, I would tell myself was like, if I know I can beat him up, like I'm not okay with that. Um, (laughs) Which I guess that has problems then (laughs) in with of itself. Cause that is some, in some part way, me believing the thing that society believes about the fact that men should always beat women, even though, I'm a black belt. I've been doing karate since I was 12. Um, But then definitely that level of support that you get, you, you know, them understanding that you're going to be at training every night and that you're not going to cook dinner or that you guys are going to take turns because they're also training. Um, Yeah. So my partner trains, of course, um, but he does jujitsu and we met at a training camp in Thailand, you know, like the, the classic martial arts couple, Um, But, yeah, he was really interested in me chatting with you. He was like, yeah, you know, I never, um, I've never trained football with a girl. So he did football, which is Australian football, um, for years until he finally was like, oh, my God, there's this whole other world out there. And then it was this big shift of all of a sudden he had to get used to training with girls and it was yeah, something that was very different. So he was like, yeah, it's it's crazy that it's the only sport where I've trained with girls and had that relationship. Um, but let's let's go more into why some of those or what the effects of that karate is. So have you seen, is it like that kids growing up with this model, does that change the way that 
or let's let's talk men then does that change the way that men start to see society broadly once they've seen a model where women can be better more experienced up in a position of of more power or like how does that all work yeah and it's something which is really really hard to measure as well and to um assess so quite it's hard to work out the degree to which doing karate or a martial art with other women so men and women all mixed together um it's hard to assess the degree to which that changes men's practices out with um the karate setting or without that given setting so for example i have lots of close friends that have um, met through karate that are men that are brilliant that in karate training settings um you know we they would always partner with me they would say oh chloe let's partner up because they respect that i'm a good training partner for them mm-hmm. um and so they would always choose to partner a woman and i think that's an interesting and good sign um that you're not seen as inferior, that nobody wants to partner with that person because they're a woman, they'll be rubbish or I can't hit them um, Mm -hmm. as hard or whatever it is. They would always choose to partner with me um, and it's evident, you know, that there's a lot of respect in our friendship within the karate setting. It doesn't mean that they don't also then make jokes that are, you know, your stereotypical um, jokes about their partners, in the kitchen, that kind of like stereotype about women's roles in the kitchen. Not directed at me, but you know, they might come in late and there'll be some sort of joke that, you know, the basis of the joke is stereotypical, the wife's been nagging or something like this that they bring into the dojo sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although the amounts to which these views enter the dojo, okay, there's only little snippets of it. Um, that come in, but it suggests a sort of different way that they perhaps look, or not a different way, because obviously you can still say these things and then have a very, you know, a very good relationship with their partner, but those ideas are still there. Um, And I know from going out clubbing with friends from karate that are men, um, they certainly objectify women, that's 100% 100% happens um, and there was a strange time once where um, I was out with some of my friends from karate and then some of their friends so it was all men other than me and some of the friends that I didn't know um, said let's go to the strip club and they were all walking over and I was like I will not go in there I'm not going into the strip club and you could see that my friends that men were sort of, they were trying to be like, oh, well, it'll be all right, Chloe, we can just sit at the back and have a drink. And I'm like, no, I'm not going in there. Um, but if I wasn't there, they, they of course, they, they ended up not going in. And I was like, yes. But these conversations, basically, if I wasn't there, then they would have went in. Of course they would have. And so, you know, doing karate, I guess it's not instantly, and these were people that have done karate since they were young, so since they were young children, now adults. So they've had a long time of recognising that within this given setting of karate, that women can be just as good as them, that women can be great pals of theirs, etc, etc. But when it comes to fitting in with the expectations of their friends in the outside world, and the norms that they're learning there, or the normal behaviours that they're learning there, they'll still do some of these things which are really, really sexist um but through having this friendship with me a woman then this behavior gets called into question and that's a moment where people have to reflect on what is seen as a given so that going into the strip club was a given of course we're going to go in there um it's a moment where they have to stop and think it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to come to the conclusions that i would like them to come to but it is taking men to a point where they have to stop and think because they've got friends that are women and naturally these types of situations like this will come up or they might you know they might go out in a karate social where they all go out for a meal at a pub or something like this say and um 
a man might make a comment, one of the male members might make a comment about a woman in that place, but then they need to confront that often with other women that are in that club. So I think there's these moments which come in the outside world where karate slips into the outside world through friendships that have been made, um, which make men question some taking for granted parts of their life outside. And that's a good thing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a quick fix. Um, but I think that's one of the ways in which men can start to question some of the taking for granted um ways that they look at women particularly as we've talked about here in terms of like objectifying women as sort of sexual objects what about women so does doing karate and being in a setting where they see women as above men change the way that women are embodied take up space like how does that side of it work yeah so i think i think from the research that i've done I think we see more differences in the ways that women um, will act outside of karate as a product to doing karate than we do see that happen with men. And I think one of the main reasons for that is that for men going into a karate hall, um, most of the expectations around doing karate fit in with ideas about what it is to be a man. So they fit in with this idea of fighting, it's a masculine thing to do. So it's not really challenging any of that by going into a karate hall and practicing karate. Whereas for women going in, there is, and you know, every woman that goes in, every woman that I've asked has always kind of said when they've went to karate for the first time, they've had this worry in their head about, oh, what if it's all just men that are there? Because they feel this is them going into what is seen to be a man's type of activity to do. And so I think in some ways it is a bit more um, transformative, like it has more opportunities for women to develop different understandings of, you know, what we can do. So we can go into karate and we can shout, we can do our big key eyes, we have to, right? We get forced to do it. Um, we can, you know, hit other people, we can be strong, we might be the best people there, we might get to stand at the top of the class because we are the best person there and everybody else just has to accept that and respect that because respect is a big part of martial arts. Um, so some of the changes that women that I interviewed during some of my research mentioned was things like feeling that they could speak up in their workplace after doing karate for, you know, a decent amount of time, at least a year or so, um, but they felt more confident speaking up for themselves at work. And what they suggested that was down to was because well, they felt that doing the key eyes and karate really, really helped that. So as much as a lot of the women that started karate as, as, as adults, so not they didn't start in childhood, they started as an adult, mostly because their kids, in most of the cases of the interviewees that I had, it's because their kids done karate and then they ended up doing it through that. Um, but they started as adults, and so doing a ki shouting is not normal behaviour for people out with a martial arts setting, is it? So people don't do that anywhere else in their life. So when they first had to do it, they were completely mortified. They were so embarrassed. They were like, oh, I don't want to do that. And they would try and not do it as best as they could. They would try and get away with not ki-eyeing at all. And so often coaches had to really sort of like tell them, no, you have to do it. You have to ki-eye. Um, and so as much as they hated it at the start, through being forced to do this, they felt that there was some sort of transfer here of starting to feel comfortable making a noise in a room. They felt that there was some sort of transfer, and it's obviously not a direct link, but some sort of transfer between that and being able to speak up at work when they're getting asked to do something that's not in their job role or something that they're uncomfortable with or something that they don't think is right, they felt that they were better able to do that. And one of the participants in particular said she felt that she could speak up to men more because she'd done karate. And maybe some of this elements of training with men was part of that. I think if she'd been in a class that was women only, I don't know if that element would be there. Um, it might be that she still felt more confident to speak up, 
but would she still feel as confident to speak up to them? Harder to tell, and obviously we'd need to, you know, you'd need to do research to find out, um, to find out some stuff to do with that. So certainly in the workplace, women saw that as being useful um, in different ways which might not be gendered, so it might not be just for women, it might be for men as well, but um, one woman that I interviewed who was really, really good at kata, um, so for people that don't do karate, because um, I don't know if all martial arts have kata, some um, martial arts call it forms, but basically it's a sequence of karate moves, say 70 karate moves that have been set in this sequence that you then perform. So you need to remember it all, perform it in the correct pattern. And anyway, so there was this woman who, you know, she was really, really good at kata. She loved her kata. But she said that through doing kata, in her work, she does a lot of presentations. And she says that she thinks that that's definitely been really, really helpful in her work environment because she's been used to, when you do kata in competition, you have to stand in the mat on your own. So when you're fighting, at least there's two of you there, but when you do kata, you stand on your own in the middle of the mat and everybody else is judging how good you're doing that. So it's a lot, you're very visible and there's a lot of pressure there that's being put on. So she felt that through dealing with this pressure in this setting, that had, you know, made it far less daunting for her to do presentations at work. She found that quite easy, actually, because she was used to performing um, in front of other people. So I thought that was quite an interesting way in which sort of karate, aspects of karate practice sort of helped in a work setting. And obviously we can see that being helpful, not just um, for presentations, but probably for lots of different types of work, anywhere where you need to speak in front of a number of people, even if it's just giving instructions to a workforce or whatever that might be. Yeah, for sure. I think, does that sort of link into that embodiment piece too of where I could be wrong, but I sort of see that, you know, women traditionally are expected to try and take up less space, right? Always lose weight, always make yourself smaller, always, you know, don't interrupt is kind of like that thing pushed on. Whereas men, it's like, make yourself as big as possible, lift weights and society wants you to get bigger and take up all of the space. But in a, in a Carter setting like that, you have to command all of the space because it's you standing in the middle of the mat, you know, and, and some Carters have ki in them. So there's moments where you have to shout by yourself in front of people and you have to do that with as much vigor as possible too. It's not just that you have to shout, it's, you know, if you want to win, you know, it's going to be quite a convincing shout. And so is, is there some of that interplay and other elements of karate that change in the embodiment of gender roles? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, the issue of taking up space, you're completely right. Women are encouraged to take up as little space as possible, whether that be physical space. So we've all seen it on the bus or on the tram or railway or whatever. We all know the image um, in our head where we've seen it, where there's a woman sitting there cross-legged, taking up as little space as possible, arms tucked in, um, and then a man sitting beside her with, with his legs wide open. He doesn't even know that he's doing it, right? Because he's just comfortable. That's just fine. Um, but it's these subliminal ways in which we're learned to use our body where women are like, right, I'll take up little space because... And it all comes down to what are we worth and what are we about, right? And women are always encouraged to think about others before themselves. So it's I take up less space so that other people can all do what they want to do around me. That's kind of the message that we're given in various different ways about, you know, how we should um, act. And sometimes it's not even that we're encouraged to take up little space. It's Sometimes it's that we shouldn't, you know, we should be invisible completely. Um, and I think that's particularly true when we think about women's bodily issues, such as periods, um, menopause, period pains, and all the different sort of, you know, things which go on in women's bodies, which we have to keep hush about. Don't tell anybody. It doesn't exist. But it's very, very painful. Miscarriage is another one, right? And 
the first stages of pregnancy. Don't tell anybody. But by the way, when people go through those first 10, 12 weeks where they're not meant to tell anybody um, that they're pregnant, there's a whole number of bodily changes that are going on, which are an absolute struggle. But women have to keep it all silent and say nothing about it. So sometimes we're encouraged to take up little space. Sometimes we're encouraged not to take up any space at all. In the dojo, um, I found this really, really interesting because there was a marked difference in the ways in which women who had started karate as children took up space in comparison to um, women that had started karate as women, so 18 onwards. There was a marked difference. So what you would find is that women that had started karate as children there, the ways in which they would move across the karate floor um, was much more similar to men and how men moved in a karate setting, right? So there wasn't too much difference between men and women that started karate as children. The ways that they moved, so kiaying, everybody was very comfortable with doing kiais, big kiais, big loud kiais. Um, when you're practicing kata, so for example, practicing kata, when everybody in the halls practicing kata at the same time, sometimes the directions that people are going in start to cross and you need to go over someone else's um, pathway. And for women that started karate as children, they were completely happy to do that because they're focused about what they're doing. And they're saying, my kata, this is valuable, this is important. And so I'm going to go wherever I need to go. And if other people are in my way, they need to move. Right. So this was kind of what you would see um, from women that started karate when they were children. Right. So you'd see that there was this karate embodiment. They'd basically molded their bodies and the way that they used their bodies to best fit what the expectations in karate are. Mm. And the expectations are that you're going to ki, that you commit 100% to all your techniques, to your kata, etc. And what that means is that then you are going to have to take up space. So they were quite committed to that. But women that started karate as adults, this was much more difficult for them. So like I said previously, at the start, they didn't want to ki at all. Um, for a lot of women, it's really hard to get them to ki. And particularly to get them to ki loudly and aggressively. Mm. You know, they might go to a halfway house where they'll, they'll do a ki, but it'll be quite quiet. Um, and so it's still something, it's still an improvement, um, but they still don't feel confident enough really to give that aggressive, um, that aggressive shout, which is what is required and looked for in karate. Because when we ki, what we're saying is that I am dominant. I've just knocked you out. Like, I am brilliant. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it just doesn't sit comfortably. It just doesn't sit comfortably with a lot of women that start karate as, as adults. Um, and I would also notice that when we lined out, so say you've got your yellow belts, your orange belts, your green belts, all moving up the graded line, you would notice that, say you had four green belts, right? And women that started karate as adults would often try and position themselves at the side, um, beside the lower grades. They would never position themselves at the top of that like section and um, beside the higher grades. They'd always position themselves at the lower bit. Often when they were doing kata or fighting, even sparring, because um, again, when sparring, you know, bodies are moving all over the dojo and often they might cross paths at different points. And you would notice these women that started karate as women, even into their black belt stages, even women that were black belts, you would see them moving out the way as they would notice somebody coming towards them or moving into their space. They would move, but they would always be moving. Do you know, everybody's going to move sometimes, right? That's going to happen. In a class, everybody's going to move sometimes. But when the pattern is that somebody's always moving, then, then that's when we're seeing something gendered happening here, that when women are always the ones that are moving, then something interesting's happening. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, when women first come into karate, they've started as adults, 
lots of these ways in which we're expected to move and use our bodies in the outside world, outside of karate, that obviously comes with them. And you can't just drop that baggage as soon as you've entered the dojo because it just doesn't feel normal. But you do see changes. But what I would say is that, um, like I said, even women that are black belts, you would still, you would noticeably, um, you might still see them holding on to some of these um, previous embodiments about you know trying to minimize space and particularly trying to open up space for other people to do stuff but not them and again these are deeply ingrained things which take a long long time to chip away at but mm-hmm. the important thing is is that they are getting chipped away at right so I'm not saying that it's not happening it is it's just it's going to be a long process but that's fine because we've all got time <laughs> yeah I was kind of just like going through my like all of those things and just thinking about when I'd seen them. I've definitely seen adult women come in and not want a key eye. Um, and I can, yeah, I, I mean, I was so cocky when I started karate. Like I was at, just at ridiculously overconfident. I think my journey to getting a black belt was like just learning how to be actually humble. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to take up the maximum amount of space. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's because when I started, I had done dancing beforehand. So I kind of picked up karate easily or as a young girl, I was very flexible. So also like that is one of the other ways where girls tend to pick up karate more easily is because my kicks were beautiful from the start, really. I mean, I've obviously gotten much better, but it was easy to kick someone in the head with flexible hips compared to the guy. So I was like, huh, you know, this is my this is my domain. But the sparring thing, I just had to pause and think, like, do I move? And I, and I can just straight away think about the really heavy sparring that we do, particularly in fight camp, like in kickboxing now. And I move like all I can just hear myself all the time being like to the girls, like, oh, the boys. Oh, just move for the boys. Let them be boys. Like they're going to, you know, they're going up and down the whole training mat space, whereas we're kind of just like sticking to one area because we know that if everyone goes up and down, it's going to crash. So, yeah, it's interesting to reflect on that and to just become aware of whether even that's some things are slipping into, you know, a couple, couple decades of training karate nearly now. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. and. What about for trauma? So do you know much about or have you looked much about into for female survivors of violence, how karate shifts the way that they're embodied? Yeah, so so this is what's going to be my next project, my next journey. Um, so I am the Director of Women and Girls' Interest for Scottish Karate. So I have a position on their board of directors. So... You know, we have meetings regularly and it's my intention to set up karate classes, um, trauma-informed karate classes for women survivors of abuse. Um, So that's an ongoing, at the moment, you know, there's a lot of work behind the scenes basically going into making sure that we can make um, make that work and make it work in the best way for the survivors and for what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll definitely be back, you know, I'll be listening multiple times to all your brilliant podcasts <laughs> to get lots of advice on that. But I guess where this idea came from, and I mean, obviously there's, you know, there are small pockets of groups around the world that are doing this kind of thing. And I think it, I think it's fantastic. Um, I guess where, where I first sort of, came across or first had this idea was a few years ago um, when I was training at one of the clubs and there was a woman there who'd started karate in her 60s. I think she was 60 when she started karate, which is like, wow, that's really brave, brilliant, go you. Um, So she started at 60. And to be honest, actually, she was quite, um, she was quite like up to give everything a go, which was great. Um, so you know really liked her you know at this point she was maybe a yellow or orange belt so not a very beginner but still roughly in the beginner sort of stages of doing karate and I was um, stretching with her against the wall so everybody in the class was standing against the wall so one person stands against the wall 
puts her leg up and the partner pushes it up higher and higher and mm-hmm. higher um, to try and help them get that stretch. And I'd said to her at that time, I'd said to her, oh, you know, your flexibility really, really came on um, since she'd started the class. Because it had, it came on massively. And that was, again, great to see. Because she hadn't, I don't believe she'd done really any sport at all mm-hmm. before she'd started this class. Um, so she wasn't very flexible <laughs> when she first started. So I said, oh, you know, your flexibility really came on. And she started spilling off to me at this point. And we're standing beside other people as well in this line. So we're in quite close proximity to others. But she started spilling off all the different ways and different changes that she'd noticed in her body since she'd started doing karate. Um, you know, she was saying about different techniques that have got better or different karate techniques. But also she started talking about um you know, and I just feel so much more confident going up and down stairs um, and, you know, all this kind of thing. And then she said to me, and she's like, right, and see now, see now, since I've done karate, no man will ever hit me again. And that was a wow moment because um, there was obviously a lot of, you know, there's a lot of intent in her eyes and it became apparent that this had, that her doing karate for this relatively short amount of time had really had a massive impact, not just on what she can physically do, but also about how she sees her future mm-hmm. and how she sees herself as well. Um, and so for me, that was a wow moment. You know, I just stopped there and thought, that's really, really important that, that, that doing karate has got her to that stage. Um, and that's something that I want to be able to support. I want to be able to support other women. You know, we all know the stats on violence against women, one in three globally across the world. Um, And probably more because there's still stigmas around reporting um, when we've experienced violence for men and gender-based violence in the different forms. So there's still stigmas about it. So, Mm -hmm. and I think if we think about the people that we're close with and the women that we're close with, you know, we can all think of women that have experienced something, some form of violence from men. Um, so there's many women out there that have been affected in varying ways for some, you know, the extent to which the violence they've experienced will, of course, vary. And then the impact on how it affects their day-to-day life will, of course, vary. But it's a overlooked and visible, like we said earlier, women's invisible lives, um, is an invisible part of half the population's experience, um, which doesn't, you know, doesn't get a look in. And so I think, you know, is it the trauma-informed approaches to martial arts that can play an extremely important role um, in women's lives, you know. And funnily enough, I was speaking at, a, it was a workshop um, mm. to do with, and it was an academic workshop, right? It was to do with creating impact through the work that you do. And so what the academics mean by impact is basically saying that it would have like some sort of good consequence in the real world, that your research could do something positive in the world. Um, and so I had talked about this project that I've been planning um, to a small group of people. You were paired up with people that you didn't know and um, there was two women in my group and there was one man and the man said to me, it's like, oh, um, well, what if, you know, I don't know that that's a good idea, this project that you're suggesting because, you know, what if then these women get confident and go home and batter their husband? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I couldn't believe it, you know. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, he obviously, like, it must have went right over his head. But again, right, like such resistance mm-hmm. to the idea of something which could really, really help women that have experienced trauma. Um, you know, and obviously, like what he said was completely stupid in lots of different ways. Um, because one, the main point and the main purpose of these trauma-informed martial arts is not to like create an army of women to go and batter men. That's not what the point is. The point is to help women recover their body, to feel ownership over their body, which has sometimes been taken by men. 
They've not allowed women to have that ownership of their own body. And that's what martial arts can help us do because it can help us build a feeling of control over our bodies, help us see what our bodies are capable of, help us see improvement in ourselves through these different belted systems, etc., etc. But he obviously didn't get that point. And I think as well, you know, if if by doing martial arts they've got an extra bonus that next time somebody might try and attack them, they know how to defend themselves. I wouldn't say that's a bad thing either. It's not why we do it. It's not the main purpose. But that is an additional bonus that women might be able to defend themselves because of the training um, that they've done in these trauma-formed classes. But it's certainly not, not the focus. But I found it so, so interesting that, you know, this was, again, some another academic, somebody who's, you know, allegedly very well-read in certain areas, and albeit it was clearly not violence against women that he's well-read in. It's obviously not an area that he knows, um, that he understands. But these are meant to be educated people um, that really, really don't have a clue about women's lives um, and the impact of violence on women's lives and why women who've experienced that might want to go um, to a martial arts-based class because of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the mo- <laughs> I'm trying to think if anyone has responded like that to me. The, the really cool thing and that I think there's still lots of things that we need to break down and it's just, it's really disappointing when, you know, men put their hands up and say all violence happens to men in domestic partnerships too and and of course it does and it's awful too that's not what women are saying is that it doesn't happen but it overwhelmingly more often you know happens to 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 men and I think there was an interesting thing going around on social media at the moment which is something along the lines of that which is that you know men will stand up and say oh but violence you know domestic violence happens to men too and yet when you see statistics like you know more men commit suicide and that suicide is you know a real problem happening to men and certainly in Australia the statistics are higher for men for committing suicide that women don't stand up and go oh but actually women commit suicide too you know there's there's just because women just have a straight away fall into that. Like, I'm so sorry. Like that is awful. What can we do to help that, that nurturing position rather than taking on that? Oh no, no, no. It happens to me too. So it's not actually a problem for you type thing, which, you know, that, that is one example of it. And what happened to you is another example of it. But I do think there are a lot of examples now of, of a lot of men really getting on board with how, much it is needed for us to have more trauma-sensitive programs, trauma-informed yoga is doing great things, trauma-informed dance, um, play, you know, all these things. But I think that the martial arts side of it starting to come up is a lot of people are saying like, and a lot of men too, that, you know, got it, it makes a lot of sense. That's really great work that you're trying to put forward. Um, and so I think it's very exciting to think that in maybe five years time that it it won't just be this little pocket thing where I'm just like finding little pockets around the world where it kind of just exists a little bit. It will be that it's become much more of a mainstream thing and that, you know, therapists will be recommending it. Counselors will be recommending it. And, and these are kind of things that are, are much more openly spoken about in saying, you know, maybe this is one thing you can try in the same way that I hope that going to therapy and going to talk to someone about things becomes much more normal and all the stigma around mental health and around wanting to do something to take back control of your body loses the stigma and that we lose that idea of that uh, just trying to pretend that women don't have control of their body, you know, trying to pretend that it's not a problem, that women aren't silenced to be like, no, you know, we want you to step into that space. And I think it's coming and that's really, that's really, really cool. And that like, you know, work like yours and, you know, other people, Alex, when he was on, Kathy, you know, all these people that like I'm just starting to be introduced to now, all the work that you guys have been doing for so many years is I think it's going to start adding up and it's really, really exciting to see where it's going to go. Yeah, definitely. No, a hundred percent agree. I think there is, uh building movement here and that's brilliant um yeah it's something relatively new trauma-informed physical activity um 
but yeah, I think there's a little bit momentum building um, amongst it now, which is really, really good. Is there anything that you would like to say to men and women and people in karate settings that might help them be a little bit more mindful of some of the issues around gender, how they can be better men towards women and and anything that women can take notice of to try to help them step more into, you know, bigger bodies and bigger roles in, in training? Is there anything you'd like to say to everyone? Yeah. Oh, interesting question. Big question. Um, I think, I think it's important. So I think for men that do martial arts, I think, and for women, actually for both, I think the starting point is to have a little sit down and think back on like how they do interact in a dojo. Um, You know, how do they interact with one another? Are they providing everyone with respect? Do they feel they get a mutual respect back from others? Um, So I think one, to step back and reflect on that and have a little think. I think for men, um, some of the messages which they sometimes need to hear is things like, yes, it is okay to hit a woman in the karate. Um, They would rather you done your karate to your full ability and it'll make it easier for them to train with you if you do. Um, But it's like, it's just like taking things. I think when we spar with anyone and we train with anyone, we always assess the ability of the person that we're training with, right? We always do that. So there's no point in me training with a white belt. So I'm a a second down black belt. I've done karate since I was seven. I've fought all around the world. Um, There's no point in me when sparring or training with a white belt to be going full pelt, 100 miles an hour, throwing all the fanciest moves I can do. Um, There's no point in that because what am I gaining from that? Nothing. Maybe a bit of an ego boost, but I mean, really, against a white belt, right? So there's nothing for me to gain from that. And there's nothing for the white belt to gain from that either. And we do. We all make these assessments every time we come up to train with somebody or most karate and martial artists make this form of assessment to work out what can I gain from training with this partner and also what can they gain from training with me and then that affects how you take the pace of that fight or whatever it is that you're doing right and I would say to men doing karate it's the exact same when you fight with a woman um you know just because they're a woman doesn't mean that therefore you're not going to hit them or that you're going to you know, just stand as a target for the whole fight rather than actually sparring with them. Look at their ability first and base it on that because that's all that matters. If you just stand as a target for them, really they're not getting what they want out of that sparring situation or training situation either. You're not helping the woman, you're not helping yourself. So look at the ability and assess based on ability how you should best spar with that person because that's what you do anyway um, when you train with most different you know grades of training partners so I think that's an important thing for men because sometimes men do have a little bit of anxiety about particularly in sparring about how to go around that um, for women advice for women um, don't beat yourself up about things because I think women can be particularly bad at that um, try to think less whenever you're doing anything in your martial art do it for you and do it to your full capacity and imagine the coach is watching you at all times right? so you have to do it the best that you can do it if that means that you bump into other people that's fine right because if that's what it takes for you to perform your kata or whatever it is to the best of your ability try and think of it like that try and think of everything through what is best how can you perform at your best here to try and help you feel a little bit more comfortable about taking up space? And sometimes we can blame that on the coach, right? We can say, okay, imagine the coach is watching me. So really it's the coach's fault that I have to take up all this space. If that helps, then think of it that way. But don't blame yourself for it either, right? Because I mean, I can we can all reflect on what we do and we could, you know, I, I'm a feminist, right? But there's lots of things which I do, which I'd be like, oh, that's not very feminist of me, is it? And that's fine, though, because we're all, we all have many, many contradictions. All of us do. 
And the important thing is to not beat ourselves up about it, recognise them, acknowledge them, see if we can work on them where we can, but don't don't beat ourselves up about it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a really, really interesting conversation and I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Oh, thank you so much. I've loved chatting with you, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Fightback Podcast. If you or somebody that you know can speak to being saved by martial arts, I would love to chat to you on the show. Could you please drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook? All the details are in the show notes. And if you want to help more people find this podcast, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. A big thank you to Nari for the beautiful song heard at the beginning and end of this episode, Shape Me. Shape Me is written about Shape Your Life, which is a trauma-informed boxing program in Canada, which you can hear more about in episode eight of this show. Until next time, happy training. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless I fear nothing, no complacence Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this Poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history, I move boulders Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment, cause... I'm the one to power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self forgot what it was like to be the one in charge forgot in my reflection i could see all my wealth forgot that with my bare hands i break all these bars barriers and obstacles they can't cage me they can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers, cause I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass, I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much, I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me. Cause I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be. The positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, whole record it, huh?